here we are. Janine always says profound things. I wanted that to be on the video. Um, she said that it's not religion, it's relationship. And that's why we're doing this series this summer about relationship. That this affects all of us. This is something that's extremely important. Sally, I'm going to put this down so I can see your wonderful face while I preach. There we go. All right. See, because it's about relationship, and I don't want anything blocking our relationship. There we go. And relationship affects all of us. And so we've started with, what was last week? What kind of relationship do you remember? It's the one you've got to start with. Oh, my preaching is so effective. <laughs> relationship to God. Now, I'm the king of alliteration, so it's got to start with an R. Look, I don't want any of you to feel bad. (laughs) Here at Concord Bible Church, there is no bell curve. Y'all are going to get a freebie here, and then we'll do a makeup test next week. It's redemptive relationship is where we started. Redemptive relationship. Today, we start with responsive relationship. Last night was my anniversary. Yes! Very, very excited about last night. I planned out this big thing for Janine and I, and it just kind of progressed. Have you ever done something and it kind of takes on a thing, a life of its own? And, and we even named it. Last night's endeavor, we, we both discussed on the way home that it was probably the best anniversary celebration we've ever had. And we called it a bridge to 24. Because I kid you not, we went over every bridge in the Bay Area. I should have thrown somebody in the back and charged them for a tour and made money on my gas mileage. I missed one. I was supposed to take four. We were heading out to Tiburon. I was supposed to take four, and I missed it, and I just kept driving. So we hit Benicia. Then we hit Carquinas to double back. Then we hit the Richmond Bridge. And then we had dinner looking at the Golden Gate Bridge. Precursor and foreshadowing of things to come. Got on 101 around 1130, crossed the Golden Gate Bridge, and I prayed magically that the fog would lift, and it did. It was just incredible, yes. And then we went through the city and got hung up there for half an eon of life. And then we crossed that wonderful thing called the Bay Bridge. And then I went to... Cheesecake Factory and got some cheesecake for myself while my wife slept in the car. And that is how you finish your anniversary celebration. Right there. So what we noticed last night when we got to this restaurant, remember how I started out last week, that we're, we're having a disconnect in relationship. And we're, we're finding that we're wanting as a people for more and more relationships. And I keep going to this issue of technology that relationship is going to this, this fraud of relationship through technology. It was fascinating. We're sitting there waiting. We got there early. We never get anywhere early, so hopefully we've turned a page in our lives now. And we're sitting waiting, and we can see 80% of the people dining. Not a single person had a phone out. And every single person was talking and laughing and engaged and having relationship. There was one person with a phone out and they were waiting for a table across from us and they were under the age of 50. I didn't tell you that, that everybody else was over the age of 50. (laughs) Interesting dynamic. I'm not an ageist. I'm just saying But when I went and got my cheesecake at 12.30 at night, which is highly not recommended, but hey, I was in a celebration mode. Um, There were five people left that I could see there in Cheesecake Factory. Four of the five were on their phones and no smiles on their faces. Folks, we are wanting in relationships. We are wanting in relationships. So this morning, we're going to give you one area on how to improve. How do you improve in relationship? And we're going to look at Jesus Christ as that example. I want to warn the men right now, get your rib protectors on. 
Because if you have a wife next to you, you might get a little sore from the elbow. Um, If there are any elbows thrown, we are an equal opportunity group. So I'll just leave it at that. Turn to John 13, 1 through 17 if you're not there. I want to share with you what we're going to do through this study throughout the summer is we're going to take real and we're going to, we're going to break it down to this. Rewarding, engaging, authentic, and loving. All right, That's what it means to be real. There's a lot of other things we could throw in there, but it wouldn't spell real. So we're going to stick to that. Let me share with you just something that's interesting. This, I don't know if this is a relation to Brad and Nancy... Uh, and Lou, I have no idea, but this last guy's name is Walter. This is Larry Walter. And many of you may have heard about Larry Walter. That Larry had a dream. And he lives down in San Pedro, or lived in San Pedro, and one day, Larry decided to purchase a bunch of weather balloons. And his grand scheme was to tie all of these 35 weather balloons to his lawn chair. Because he had the dream to fly. And he was strapped down to his roof. Um, There's actual video of this. And and this is what's insane. As I I tell you this story, this is a comment on our society. There have actually been copycat people that have followed in his steps. That says a lot about who we are as people. But anyway, Larry was strapped down to his roof and one of his cables broke, and then it just unfurled. They weren't ready for launch yet. And here's even the more scary thing, is he had a ground crew with radio support. There were people helping him with this. What happened to Larry? Larry shot through the stratosphere. Larry shot to 16,000 feet. And his plan? As he's sitting in a lawn chair at 16,000 feet, was a pellet gun. And his concept was to shoot one balloon at a time to then slowly descend back down to normalcy. I don't know. Or boredom. (laughs) You know, do you ever see those mystery movies where the person's walking through the parking garage late at night and the vampires are coming? It's always vampires, right? And the vampires are coming and they know the vampires around the corner and they're trying to get their key into their door lock. This is before clickers. This is like 1970 B-rated movies, right? Not that I've seen any of these. But I can see from you. And, And what happens when they're trying to get the key in the door lock? They always drop the keys. You can't write this stuff, folks. Larry shot one balloon and he dropped the gun. At 16,000 feet, he drops a gun. Oh, it gets better. Not only does he drop the gun, then he flies into national airspace. And can you imagine being the pilot that looks out of his left window and sees a guy in a lawn chair at 16,000 feet? Are you going to report this? You're not flying for three months if you do. Right? So he turns to his co-pilot and says, I just want you to double-check me on this. What do you see out the left window? And they report to Long Beach, the airport at Long Beach, I I, I guess it's uh, John Wayne Airport, or or maybe it was Long Beach Airport, whatever, that there's a guy in a lawn chair at 16,000 feet. The guy eventually came down and got caught in power lines. And... uh, and escaped, and when he was asked by the national media, why did you do it? His response was this, well, you just can't sit there. (laughs) But think about how profound that is. Think about what I already shared with you about relationship, that I... I watched people last night in one dynamic be incredibly responsive, involved, engaged, rewarding relationship, engaged relationship, authentic relationship, loving relationship. And then I experienced people that weren't engaged at all, weren't getting any reward at all. Really not a whole lot of authenticity and definitely not gleaning much love off of a phone. Folks, we've got to see a change happen. And so we're going to look at the life of Christ this morning 
and see how we can glean that from Him. So we, and to look at the important aspect of what is responsive relationship. Why do I need a responsive relationship? Let me read the passage this morning. We're going to be in 13, John 13, 1-17. And many of you will recognize this right away. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray Him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside His outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around His waist. Then He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. He came to Simon Peter who said to Him, Lord, do You wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but it is completely but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For He knew who was to betray Him. That's why He said, not all of you are clean. When He had washed their feet and put on His outer garments and resumed His place, He said to them, Do you understand that what I have done to you? You call Me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And I'm a little late in this, but if there's anyone who needs a Bible, uh, we have Bibles that we can pass out to you. Just raise your hand and I've got some people in the back that would pass those out to you. Well, this morning as we look at this, the key verse here, um, I've already explained to you what we're doing with real. It's reward, it's engaging, it's authentic and loving. This morning we're going to start with this question. Why become more responsive? Well, it's your motivation. It's your motivation. Some of us struggle with this whole idea of being responsive of being involved, of being engaged. And so this morning, we're going to share, we're going to look, we're going to examine how this can deepen our relationships. How can this take us from nominal relationships, surface relationship, to rewarding relationship? And so this morning, we start with this idea that rewarding relationship rejects nominalism. What is nominalism? Well, it was a big word that I, I changed instead of boring. <laughs> Alright? Are you bored in your relationship? Then do something about it. Are you bored in your relationship with Christ? Most of the people I find that are bored in their relationship with Christ are putting no energy into it. They expect Christ to do all the work. You know what's fascinating about that is if you look at horizontal relationships, the relationships we have with one another, have you ever watched a parent that just gives everything to their child? Their child has to give nothing back. And often I see that the child is bored and dissatisfied with that relationship. Are you tired of being bored in your relationship? You want rewarding relationship, you've got to start being responsive. You have to start being responsive. So look at verse 8, because you're going to see how Christ did this. In looking at this story, you may be saying, well, how does Jesus washing the feet of the disciples? Well, it really keys in on the last statement there, and we'll finish with that today. But this idea that if you know these things, blessed are you who what? Do them. Not hear them, but do them. 
Somebody very famous once said, you are defined by what you do. That is not exempt when it comes to our relationships. And it's definitely not exempt when it comes to our relationship with Christ. And Christ says what in this passage? I'm setting for you an example. So you can have depth of relationship. So you can have meaningful relationship. This is your motivation. Verse 8, listen to what Jesus does when it comes to rejecting nominalism. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. We're done. Right? How many of us in relationship when somebody puts up a barrier or a blockade or some kind of idea that just wants to strip us from being responsive, we're done. Okay. Sorry. Hey, sensitive person. So sorry. And so Jesus moved on, right? Thank you. That's why I shortened the stand. No, what does Jesus say? Because He is responsive. Because He wants to give reward in the relationship. Because He loves deeply Peter. He says the following. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with Me. You have no relationship with Me, Peter. I'm coming to you. I'm doing something intensely intimate and humble. I'm bringing you one of the deepest, most strident demonstrations of relationship and response that I can. And unless you're willing to let me do this for you, guess what, Peter? You're rejecting my relationship. Brothers, sisters, this is where we start with our motivation. You have to say enough is enough. I'm done with a boring relationship. Number one, I'm done with being bored with my relationship with Christ. Number two, I'm done with being bored with all these other relationships. I want rewarding relationships. Amen? Secondly, rewarding relationships results from purposefulness. Do you know that it is a proven fact that people feel satisfied, people feel rewarded when they know their purpose? Do you know your purpose for being here? Do you know why you're here? Do you know why you're here this morning? Do you know why you're in the relationship that you're in? Do you know why your parents are your parents? That's for another talk down the line. But this morning, let's look at verses 3 through 5 when we talk about this idea that rewarding relationship results from purposefulness. Verses 3 through 5, Jesus knew his purpose. He knew his purpose, therefore he was responding. What does that mean? Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, there's that relationship between Christ and the Father, right? And that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God, rose from supper. Now he's not just talking, he's doing, right? Why is he about to do what he's about to do? He knew his purpose, right? He knew where he was about to go. He knew this would be one of the last moments to have a meaningful moment. Have you ever moved away? Have you ever had friends move away and you have a gathering at a restaurant where people are over the age of 60 and they're not using their cell phones and they're all laughing? And I can tell you where that restaurant is if you want to go there. This is kind of what's happening with Christ is that he gets up from supper. Now he's doing. Why? Because he knew his purpose. And he was acting on it. And he's going to be rewarded for it. He's going to be rewarded for it. Look, it says he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. Action. And taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Action. Then he poured water into a basin. Action. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet. Action and to wipe them with the towel that He had wrapped around Him. Action. Response, response, response. Do you think that those disciples will ever forget that action by the One who called them friend? What about us? What about us with our friendships? And the relationships within our friendships? 
Are we willing to serve our friends this way? How rewarding is it for us when we do this? And is this our purpose? Absolutely it is. As those who name Christ as their Lord and Savior, as their shepherd, He says He did this as an example for us to do to others. To demonstrate the love of Christ. To be responsive in the relationship. Why? Because it's rewarding. It's rewarding. Many of us have tailed off in relationships that weren't rewarding, haven't we? We're not interested anymore. So if you want to fix that relationship with Christ, you want that relationship to be rewarding, become responsive. If you want to fix relationships around you, become responsive and follow the example of Christ. Third point here. Why do you want to become more responsive? Well, because rewarding relationship requires engaging. You just can't sit there. You just can't. Great great story, right? How many of you, if that was your uncle, would be telling that story at every Thanksgiving dinner? Right? How many of you would never share that story ever if that was a family member? Says a lot about our congregation this morning. Man, I would be wearing a t-shirt with with that picture on it. I'm related to that guy, right? You've got to engage. You can't just sit there. Let's look at Christ in verse 7. How did He do this? How did He engage, resulting in rewarding relationship? Verse 7 says this, Jesus answered, by the way, Peter has questioned his actions, right? Peter's put up the blockade. Peter said, wait, 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 you're a little too responsive here, Jesus. Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Afterward you will understand. Jesus knew that he was going to face resistance. How many of us hold off engaging with somebody because we know we're going to be facing a block? We know we're going to face criticism. We know we're going to face difficulty if we go and we do it. My friends, we surrender the reward if we give in to the blockade. We will not have real relationship if every time that there is a hurdle in our way, we lack engaging. And look at what Christ says. He says, I knew you would protest, Peter, more than any of these other guys. I knew you would protest, and I knew you don't understand, but just hang with me, bud. Just hang with me. You're going to get it later on. You're going to get it. You want a rewarding relationship. You've got to engage. Let's move to the second one. How can you be more responsive? If you're motivated now, and you're all motivated now, right? I don't know how you can't be. If you're motivated now, now the next question simply would seem to be, well, how can I do that then? Well, I'm glad you're asking. Engaging grows from conviction. Engaging grows from conviction. So, Mr. Larry Walter engaged. (laughs) You know, he engaged a little earlier than he'd like to because the strap came off, but he engaged. Now, he didn't just happen to get into that lawn chair. Something was driving him. Some would say it was madness, but something was driving him. It was a conviction to go way beyond that which seems safe. You know why we don't have real relationships? It's because we're more concerned with safety for ourselves. And so we abdicate real relationships. And that's sad. Because folks, we want to anesthetize. I can't even say the word. We want to sterilize pain. We live in a society that says, get rid of all pain. Here's here's the beauty of this. You can't have the reward without the difficulty. In anything. In anything. And so don't look at the difficulty as that which should keep you from your conviction. How do you know if you truly have conviction? 
not by what you say. You demonstrated this morning. I asked you to go outside of your safety box and to pray out loud while everybody else is praying. (gasps) Wait a minute. God is not a God of confusion. And if two people are praying at the same time, no, he's not going to get confused. We might, because we don't often do what we did this morning. But you know what? The reason we heard voices is because, hopefully not because I told you to do it, but because you have a conviction to pray because you know He listens, because you know He answers, because you know He rewards. Amen? And that conviction drove you to doing. You are defined by what you do. And if there's somebody visiting today, you saw a church speak up, and you saw a church respond to something that I can show you article after article after article, seminary lecture after seminary lecture that would tell you that was pulpit suicide to ask your church to do what I did this morning. That authenticity doesn't matter. Responsiveness doesn't matter. What matters is that you make people feel comfortable when they come to worship. I think that's killing our churches. I think that's killing our relationship with Christ. Do you feel encouraged this morning because you prayed together? Do you feel alive because of that? I do. I do. Engaging grows from conviction. Verses 8-9. through Let's continue on. So, Jesus tells him, hey, you don't understand now, but afterwards you're going to get this, Peter. So what does Peter say? Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Those are words of conviction, right? It's just misaligned conviction. Jesus was even prophetic there, wasn't He? He says, Peter, you're not going to understand it right now. And right out of Peter's mouth. That's, that, I love Peter, man. He, he is a fulfiller of prophecy, right? Uh, hey, Peter, you're not going to understand this. You're never going to wash... Hey, uh, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who's that guy? Peter says what? Peter said to him, You'll, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, you have no share in me. That's conviction. So faced with that reality and that truth and that authentic language and that authentic real discussion and dialogue, very visceral, very real, very hoo-hoo, three slaps on the back, man-pat, right? You had to be here last week for that one. What does Peter say? Not just my feet. You cover me all the way. You wash my head. You wash my hands. Man, that's the stuff that you put at the end of the romantic movie to get the Academy Award. Right? That's conviction. Where are your convictions? You need to respond. You need to engage out of conviction. And engaging grows your conviction. Peter didn't walk away from this conversation either, did he? And so he grows out of his conviction. And we see the testimony of it. Engaging garners expectation, 14-17. through If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Engaging garners expectation now. You know, if you're going to be vulnerable and you're going to go ahead and and engage in this kind of relationship, now there's kind of an expectation that we keep going, right? That we keep doing. Have you ever been on the downside of that? Somebody does something great for you. They engage with you. Comes out of their convictions. They've done something incredible. They did a five-bridge tour of the city. And just maxed it out. Just hit it out of the park, you know? So there's no point in trying ever again. Sorry, honey. 
do you feel the daggers, the darts coming from the front row? Have you ever had that happen to you? That because of engaging, because of the expectation, it just seems too hard now. It seems too hard. Can I just encourage you? You'll not receive the reward if you don't keep engaging. You'll not receive the reward if you don't keep engaging. So engage. And engaging gets moving. Right? Jesus got up from supper. Jesus got up from supper. The result of this is the disciples went out and they planted churches all throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth. Right? Egypt area. Hanny, what disciple planted the church in the Egypt area? Yes. And so why he's buried in Venice, I have no idea. They went out. They engaged. They got moving. What are you doing in your relationship? Men, are we still sitting in our barca loungers with the remote and a piece of meat dangling out of our mouth? Honestly, I'll just tell you, that was me on Father's Day last Sunday. That's okay every once in a while. But I also then got up and started engaging in relationship later that day. Women, we need to start engaging with our men. Regardless of whether we've satisfied those needs, start engaging with them, start building them up, start making them... and, and, and speaking to them as if every expectation you had had been realized. Men will respond to that. I speak to kids, but there's none in here. Well, there's one, but Logan doesn't understand me yet. He's getting there? Okay. We'll, we'll privately counsel later on. Engaging gets moving. Thirdly, Where is Jesus in your response? He's an authentic servant. He's an authentic servant. And we see this in verse 6, right? In verse 6, He says what? It says, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? You see, Jesus presented Himself a servant to each of us. That gift when He died in our place on the cross, when He took the pain of the cross, when He took the consequence for sin upon Himself, He entered into relationship with each of us. And He did so lovingly. And it was authentic. It was true. It was real. It has meaning. Where is Jesus in your response? Well, He started out as an authentic servant. We can learn from that example. Do you want to be responsive in your relationships? Learn to act as Jesus did as a servant to someone else. Paul says throughout many of his epistles in the New Testament that the key to unity, the key to relationship is submitting one to another. We hate that word submit. It doesn't fit in our vocabulary. We start to say it and we say something like Subway sandwiches. We can't even say the word. Brother, I don't even know your name. Sam on guitar today, helping us lead in worship. Now, if Sam had sat here and said, my guitar is beautiful, man. And it's worthy of exaltation and the highest ranking among all instruments on this stage. So let's go to 11. Then you have screaming guitar that overplays the unity of what we're trying to do. What did Sam do? He submitted to Brian. 
probably doesn't realize it, but he submitted to Brian. No, he realizes it. You see, if you enjoyed the worship this morning, they demonstrated this whole idea of what it means to be a servant. They got here way before you did. Half of them drove from out of state, I think. Well, it's just Brentwood, but it's kind of out of state. (laughs) And uh, the reason we had such a beautiful result is because they submitted to one another. When you have a band that doesn't submit to one another and it's all about their own personal agendas, what's it sound like, Sam? Yeah, it sounds like Mumford. No, I'll move on. Oh, what? Let's move to the next point, authentic leadership. Jesus demonstrates authentic leadership. Verse 7, let's look at it. Verse 7 says, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Jesus knowing, knowing that people would struggle, that Peter, those closest to him, would struggle with the message, would struggle with the action. He doesn't back off. Because authentically, he already has the conviction. He wants the reward to be there. He wants authenticity. He wants engaging. He wants real relationship with Peter. But he knows that he's going to face resistance. Folks, in order to have real relationship, there has to be real leadership. And here we see it. That Jesus places His love for Peter, His authentic love for Peter, ahead of rejection. We're not so into that, are we? That one's a tall order for us. That one's a tall order for pastors. But when you're following Jesus, it's an uncommon calling and it yields uncommon rewards. Amen? Amen. Lastly, authentic obedience. Authentic obedience. And we see that in verses 8-9. through And we really see this out of Peter, right? Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Well, Jesus already knows what he's supposed to do, right? Because he knows his purpose. He knows that he came from God. He knows that he's going back from God and that God has given him all things. And he knows that this is what he's supposed to do. So regardless of the resistance, he follows through in authentic obedience. What does that demonstrate and what does that uh, replicate with the one he's trying to lead? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Talk about a flip of the obedience switch. Wow. Where does that come from? From not giving up. From not just sitting there. From saying that the reward is worth much more than the possible rejection. From realizing the truth of the matter and the authenticity of the matter. And you come to a salient moment in your life where you have to wrestle with, am I going to obey what is true, what is right, what is real? Or am I going to sacrifice it because I just want to sit here? Peter obeyed. He flipped immediately, authentically. Last point today. What does responsive relationship look like? Well, loving through time. Loving through time. Well, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, turn to James with me, if you will. James 1. And we're going to be in verse 19. We're going to go through... Well, let's go all the way through 27. Knowing this, my... Beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now my point here is what? Loving. You want to have a real relationship or a responsive relationship. What does that look like? It's, it's loving, right? But it's not just loving in a moment. It's loving over a period of time. So when we hear this admonition, know this, my beloved, right? Here's this, those that I love. Know this, my beloved brother. Let every person be quick to hear. Can I get an amen on that one, ladies? And men, slow to anger. Can I get an amen on that one? Men, for the anger of men does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Amen to that. And then he says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
Wow, that's what's at stake. The church today, my friends, and has always been filled with people who hear, grab the knowledge, and simply think that is relationship. That's why they're bored. That's why their relationship is filled with nominalism. That's why there's no reward. That's why they're not engaging. That's why there's churches filled with those who aren't as loving as they should be, maybe. What's at stake? We're defined by what we do. We're defined by what we do. And so going on, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, here's your time aspect, right? And goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Have you ever done that? I had a little experience like that last night that my wife noticed that I was shaving last week and I I was low on sleep. Can you relate? I was low on sleep and I just started shaving off my beard here on the right side. And I got like like... four inches down, and I'm like, "Woo! what did I, and I'm like, oh no, I have to shave the whole thing off, and I'm like, oh no, I'll just start a trend. (laughs) Nobody noticed, my wife didn't even notice for like, I think three, four days, and and it kind of grown back already, and now you're all going to look at this, right, you're going to be totally immersed in this. I didn't need to go back to the mirror all day long. I was like, okay, who's going to say something? Who's going to say something? Who's going to say something? I'm going to have to explain this whole thing away. All day long. The person who hears the word and doesn't do the word is like someone, James says, that looks in a mirror, looks at the face they're familiar with, and walks away and immediately forgets what they look like. Folks, if we do responsive relationship with God, with Jesus, with those around us, it leads to what? It leads to loving over a period of time. It's not just a one-shot thing, just a real quick hit. What if Jesus said, well, I'll just love you for a moment. I'll just love you for this one little endeavor, soiree, whatever. You want to have a responsive relationship that continues in loving through time. James says this, be doers of the Word. And he goes on and he says in verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but, de- <clears throat> but deceives his heart, this, re- this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This morning as we go through and looking at this idea of loving and how it fits with responding in relationship. That we need to respond out of love by demonstrating humility. We see this in Christ's demonstration of taking on the form of a servant. It was uncomfortable for those disciples, right? I don't see a whole lot of reward in this story other than Peter's commentary. We hear from nobody else. Not a whole lot of exaltation towards Christ. And I think sometimes we measure that, that if I'm going to love somebody and take a humble position and love them through that, I've done that, Pastor, and it didn't do anything. You'd be surprised. Give it some time. Give it some time. Be consistent. But often our loving is demonstrated and creates real relationship when we demonstrate humility just like Christ. Lastly, loving through difficulty. Loving through difficulty. What does this look like? What does this mean? Well, turn to Hebrews 12, 1-2, and this is our last point today and last passage. The writer of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance, right? Engaging words. Doing words. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, listen to what Jesus does here in this idea of loving through difficulty. 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the sons of God. Jesus demonstrated this whole concept of loving through difficulty. And the writer of Hebrews puts it succinctly, but he puts it beautifully. That he considered it a joy because he loves you and I so much, so deeply, and wants real relationship with us that regardless of the shame that it would require, he followed through. And he was rewarded for it. My friends, do you want real relationship this morning? Let me ask you, what is responsive relationship? Number one, it's real. Number two, it's one that does something. It doesn't just sit there. So I encourage you. I've given you some points to ponder. Now you have the challenge to either just sit there and hear it, or to do something. Let me encourage you. Pick one thing. Start with one thing. Start simple. But start. Don't just sit there. Let me close in prayer this morning. As I do so, I I want to speak real quickly to uh, some events that happened uh, this past week and uh, have kind of blown up all over media, news, history. Um, You know, the decision that happened from SCOTUS, uh, from the Supreme Court on uh, Friday about marriage equality. I think the challenge that we face, brothers and sisters, is simply this. Number one, Christ would reach out with love. But Christ would also reach out with truth. How can I say that? How do I know that? I can say that and I can know that just based off of multiple accounts that are written in Scriptures about what He did, what He said. And I think of the Sumerian woman, right? That she had an issue with men. And she had an issue with adultery. And so as the Pharisees brought her out and in the act, and the ruling party wanted him to judge right there and right then, what did he say? He said, I'm not here to condemn you. Right? And by the way, last week I talked about my Jesus, right? That we have a society that loves to talk about my Jesus. The challenge is that we get the right Jesus. The one that he said he is and was and always will be. And so, yes, that's exactly what Jesus said. I condemn you not. He's offering an olive branch. He's offering peace, right? Does anybody know what was the second part of that sentence? But go and sin no more. Now, he said that because he's a judgmental cuss, right? No? That's about as close as I'll get to some kind of sacrilegious statement up here without being struck dead. He said it because the behavior was destroying her. And Jesus desires what is best. Now, I'm not a fool to think that we're all simpatico with the same view on what happened. There's going to be a wide variety of opinions in this room about what was right, what was wrong. Here's the reality because pastors all over this land today are saying something from their pulpits. These things will come and go. These things become the red herring. It's not that they're not important. It's that they become the red herring for the church. And what do I mean by that? They become the distraction for the church. And often we are far from representing Christ in our comments, our attitudes. It's my desire that we as a church represent the love of Christ, that we're real. 
we're real in our relationships with people. So, here's what we're going to do. I don't have time, because we're done. I don't have time today to speak to this. But I want to encourage you that what your pastor wants you to do in engaging on this topic, because it's all over the place. You can't, you can't be breathing and not deal with this. Is that you focus on the gospel of who Jesus is. You let the light of Christ shine through you. And you let God do the work that He needs to do. And you be true to what you see out of the Scriptures. But you be Jesus. You be Jesus. And then we're going to have a time when I get back from vacation where we're going to gather as a church for prayer. For how can we be loving? Just like Christ in the statement, how can we be loving? And yet at the same time, how can we speak to the truth of what's good and what's right? Okay? And, and, and we'll have a Q&A time. And, and that'll be open. But we're going to have a prayer time about all of this. In the meantime, I encourage you, don't get rattled. God is on the throne. Okay? And, and I live, if you look at my Facebook page, it says that my political affiliation is a theocracy. Okay? If you want to know how I vote, I vote theocratic. And that's it. So, I'm no less knee-wobbly today than I was on Thursday. Love of Christ and truth will provide real relationships. Amen? Amen. Alright, let me pray and dismiss you guys. Have a great, great week. And... Uh, And again, if you guys need anything, please reach out to uh, the office and to the elders this week. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you take the words from Scripture today, encourage us, lead us, guide us, but help us to not just sit there. If we truly want rewarding relationships, engaging relationships, authentic, loving relationships, Lord, show us where we need to be doers of the Word not just hearers of the Word. Help us to be responsive. To you be the glory, Father. Amen.